Jesus letters to the churches. And today we are doing the seventh, the seventh letter, which is the letter to the church in Laodicea. And today we're looking at the subject that is entitled, uh, Crowded but Christless. Crowded but Christless. That's what we are looking at. That's from what we are from reading. Jesus is simply saying, you are crowded. You've grown in numbers, but I am not in your midst. You are Christless. And we get it from verse, verse 20, where Jesus says, Behold, I am standing at the door and knock. If any of you, Lord Sians, will be able to hear my voice and open up the door, or open up your heart and allow me in, I will come in you. I will dine with you. I will live with you. I will be with you because you are Christless. You have no Christ in you, though you are many, though you are crowded, though you are famous, though you are popular and strong and powerful. Without Christ, you are nothing. You are wretched, you're poor, you're pitiful, you're naked without Jesus Christ. That's what he's trying to tell them. Um, so, this, well, let's look quickly at the city of, of this city of Laodicea. I just wanted to let you know that um, just like the other church, uh, Philadelphia, we looked at last, last, last week, this church was, was built by the, by, 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 by the Greek, and it was built by the man called Antiochus, uh, who was one of the Greek famous persons. In 250 BC, that was before Christ was born. And, and this man built this city for his wife. All right? And he named it uh, Laodicea. And in this particular city, we find that it grew to become very popular and very famous because it was the center of banking and finances. In the Asia Minor, this city, Laodicea, was where the financial matters were discussed and stored. If everyone worked elsewhere, they would make money, they would do what? They would come and store their money at this very safe, nice place. And that was the city of Laodicea. That's where all the banks were and all the financial matters were discussed. So it was quite a very important place where decisions were being made as pertaining to money, to finances. And also in this particular city, what, why it, it was so important because the trade that was going on in this city was what is the most famous today. Two things most famous today. Uh, <laughs> that is passion and beauty, right? <laughs> this place uh, at Laodicea, that's where they were uh, making industry, like clothes industry cotton industry and clothes were manufactured and made from uh, this particular city. Like black woolen clothes, we have fashionable and, and all these wonderful ornaments and, 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 and clothes for the rich people. Everything there was for the rich. It was for the elite. There were a certain, certain group of people that lived in this particular city. It's, and then, therefore, those who were in those who were not in those particular teams or league or you know, like 
we call those cliques like the bourgeoisies, you know, the elites. Those who were not among those struggled as they lived in this particular city because the economy, the lifestyle, and the way of living and everything was raised up to the standard of the first class. So even the clothes, they were expensive clothes, expensive industries. Apart from that, we also see that um, they had very wonderful and powerful ornaments and, and beauty and oil and all these things that they were doing fashion treatment. If you looked very old on your face skin elsewhere, the place to go was at Laodicea where they went to give you some facelifts, you know. They went to treat you for you to look really nice. We'll look down in the scripture, just giving you a prelude to this, where they are, they are, this was the only place where if you, your face, uh, you had grown up and your face had developed wrinkles and you had all these things, this is, this is the only place where they had salve, where they had oil, that they would treat your face, your eyes and all that, and treat you away from uh, all this uh, age that catches up on our faces. So Laodicea was quite an impeccable place. It was quite a place to admire and a place to want to be part of. So do you, can you picture how important this place was? Because everyone who had money elsewhere, if they wanted to look really nice, they needed to go and buy things from Laodicea. They needed, ships would go to go and buy oil, to go and buy salve, to go and buy clothes, to go and also store money at this particular city. So it was, it was a center of admiration um, in that particular. So this city today still exists uh, in the area. I, 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 it is in the area that is called now Turkey. In Turkey area, that's where this city existed in that particular, particular area. And it may have different names, but I'm sure they've still continued after uh, the lifestyle, the foundation of Lord Seer. In take you can look it up today online, and I'm sure you might find a few clues um, leading to that. So, the place we're saying that it had all the best health care you can think about today. The most important thing we're seeing about it is health care, health, and all that. And you know, you found in their time it was found at this particular city, and also. We, we see that also those, you know, financial industry and matters and all these things I've talked about, they found there. Now, you, you, you see that there's a little bit of a contrast where you find that the very rich people, they were in this particular city. Famous, wealth, affluent, with great influence, they were found in this particular city. At the same time, beside the most influential and rich people, you find also very poor people. They were so poor such that they lived in the streets, they begged in the streets, they walked and also depended on their daily living and sustenance by begging and living in the street. So it was quite a contrast where you find everyone. So if you were, there was no balance. It's either you were rich and very rich, or you were poor and very poor. <laughs> so that, I'm giving you this because of what Jesus has mentioned, a number of key things 
in the in the scripture we'll look at them very short just we'll go back to to what Jesus is mentioning from verse 14 up to verse 22 when he's talking to them all right and also another important city this city another important information about the city of Laodicea was that it was built at the center of mountains it's like it's surrounded by mountains around and then the city is right belt at the center it had, the mountains served as protection apart from that also whenever there was a rain in the rain season when the rains came they the rain water would would flow from the mountain tops and also begin to flow right down headed into the city so because of that, the people, the engineers of that time, they had made pipes and, you know, they had made pipes of, made of stones that had made its way right from all the angles from the, from the top of mountains coming down those pipes and leading into the city. So whenever it rained, whenever the rains, it was a rain season and during, you know, then the water would make their ways through those pipes, those stones, coming down into the city. Now, here is the thing. The water was, they, they drank that water. They didn't drink the water from the oceans and the seas and all that. They drank the water that came from there and it was stored in, their, in, their, in, in the places they had. And the other waters had gone, they had made pools where people, swimming like swimming pools of our time, where people would go and have life and like luxurious treatments and ointments and all that in the center, city centers. So people would go there and have beauty treatments. I can imagine the masseuses had business in that time. You know, massage and all that and they'll, they'll make. But apart from that, those, they would drink the same water. They had to drink it hot or cold. They never drank this water if it was lukewarm between cold and hot. They would not drink it. They would wait until the water is, is hot. Then they would take hot water. Like we see their descendants, the Chinese people, they talk about, they drink hot water, right? Most of them, they don't drink this cold, cold water. And their teachings about how hot water is very healthy to your body and how it helps you to regulate the inner temperature. Here, here in, in Zambia, we like it very cold. Like you get it right from the fridge and you are drinking you, your face even changes because it's very cold. Uh, <laughs> I remember some few years ago, I was in Denmark and I, I was thirsty. I wanted to drink water. So I went in the fridge. I was in Nels Peter's home, opened the fridge. I couldn't find water. There was milk. There was everything else, but there was no water to drink. I'm like, come on, guys. What do you drink? I, I chilled up. And waited, maybe someone would do something, and then went again. Then I couldn't hold it. I had to ask May uh, Britt, Nell Peter's wife, like, where is water to drink? And everyone was there. Then they said, what do you mean? There's water right from the top. I said, no, I need water from the fridge. It's like, do, do you want to drink water from the... Yeah, we don't put water in the fridge because the temperature is here so cold. And how do you put water in the fridge to drink? I was like, I'm used. We have to put our water in the fridge. That's to be God. And if you give somebody from the village, wow, it's a whole story, right? So 
So their water came right from these uh, pipes that were made of stones, right? Nice stones. So, you know, if the temperature is very hot, the water will be very, very hot as well. If it is cold at a certain, during the day, the water also is going to be cold. But if it's, you know, between it's warm or it's lukewarm, you're not going to drink that particular water, right? So because of, you know, the chemical compositions of the stones and all that, you know, when it's lukewarm, it's accumulating acids and all these other things. And, you know, the, the metals and all that are being mixed up in the water. But when it is hot, it is purified. Or when it's cold, then it is safe to drink. Jesus has mentioned it. We'll look at that shortly. He says, you are neither hot nor cold. You are lukewarm. And I also feel just like you spit your water, I feel like spitting you out of my mouth. I am about to spit you because you are not hot, you are not cold. You like drinking it hot or drinking it cold, but you are giving me your lives that are lukewarm. Not cold, neither hot nor cold. How is it so, guys? Why can't we find balance here and put things straight? Straight. If you don't, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's what Jesus says. And I want us quickly to just, uh, I, have, I, have, uh, I, have, I have three things that I want to talk about today in reference to that scripture and what Jesus is saying to the Laodicean church. What made them crowded but Christless? What are some of the lessons can we learn from the scripture that we have just read? Uh, some of the challenges and some of the lessons we can learn from Jesus' message to the church, to the Laodicean church. The first thing in my mind is these people were self-satisfied. They were self-satisfied. They were self-centered. The Laodicean were self-satisfied. Let us read verse 15 and verse 16 and see what Jesus says. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. They are at the verge of Jesus spitting them. And then he's using the term spitting. In, the, in chapter 1, we see Jesus using the, the, the Bible says, I, I, I saw the son of man. He looked dazzling and bright and the feet were like bronze and all that and describes him. And the Bible says he's walking among the candlesticks. He's walking among the candlesticks. And then he's looking at each candlesticks and the candle need. And he says to, that, to some churches that, like to the Laodicean church, he's saying that I am about to remove you from your candlestand. I'm about to take you away, meaning you won't exist anymore. So it's like you are in my mouth, you are in my care, you are in my hands. And Jesus is saying that I am about to remove you from your place of standing. I'm about to remove you from your position where you are secure, where you are safe, where you are planted. Because you are not hot and you are not cold. You have... You feel like you are, self, you, are, you, are, you are satisfied in who you are, in yourself, in what you have, in what you possess. 
Remember these people, they had everything that they wanted. They were excessively satisfied with oneself and their achievement. They were very rich. They were very well to do. They had all the monies they needed. They had all the life they needed. They had everything they needed. They did not need Christ. They, have, they had everything they needed according to the human perspective of a successful life. Whatever they wanted, they got. They had good education. They had good money. They had good clothes. They had good beauty and health care. They had everything. So their faith was channeled from, from Jesus to what the earthly treasures gave them, the opportunities that they had. I just I want to let you know that this city that was so beautiful and so powerful had a little church in their midst. And the church started in a house. Just think about it like in Pastalina's home in the city of Undola. The church started very small in a house, in one person, a faithful believer's house. And with time, a church grew to become very prosperous, very famous, very affluent, and very influential. When I talk about affluent, I'm talking about affluence, guys. The church was very affluent. It was very affluent. And it also had influence because Jesus says they became so crowded. People were added to the church. People came and there was a really nice system. A church that started small became so big. But in their growth, in their numerical growth, in their physical growth, in their financial growth, in their academic growth, in their growth of uh, physical and emotional and intellectual growth, they forgot one important aspect of spiritual growth. Growing in their personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So, and, 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 and like other churches, we see other churches, Jesus is saying there is idolatry in, in them. Other churches, the, Jesus is saying that I am, uh, um, you, are, you, are, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. We see other churches saying that you have forsaken your first love. We see other churches that they have tolerated Nicolaitans and they have tola tolerated Balaam. Other churches, they're saying that you live where Satan live and you have the throne of Satan and you living in the standard of, with this church, Jesus says that I am not in your midst. I don't know even who you are. I am not with you. I'm not a priority in your lives. Because what gave them satisfaction was a priority. Just like in our lives today, we give priorities to things that matters to us. That's why I love the song that we sang, You Are All That Matters. If Jesus matters in your life, you will give him a first priority. If Jesus is what matters the most in your life, you will put him in front. You will consider him first. Today, people give priorities to so many things. Number one, we give priority to work. I'll be here praying on my knees and cry to Jesus. But what happens after he gives me a job? 
I won't come to church. I won't pray. I won't find time to save him because I'm busy at work. I'll be here busy crying and praying to Jesus for marriage. Give me a husband, Lord, a God-fearing, a faithful husband. Give me a wife, God-fearing, faithful, faithful wife. When God gives you what you desire, that becomes a priority. Why are you late? No, I have so many things to do. I have many kids to birth. I have to birth my husband. I have to carry him from the bathroom to the bedroom. You know, like it becomes so many things becomes an excuse from saving the Lord your God. You used to walk places. You would move from Tuatka to town looking for a job. And God gives you a car, very nice car. Why are you always late at church? Why are you not coming to church? No, I didn't have fuel. But you moved the whole town the whole week. But on Sunday, you have no fuel. Self. Self-satisfied. Self-satisfied implies that one puts other things that would benefit them and sidelines other things and other people that do not benefit, that they do not benefit from. Jesus says that you guys, you say that I have everything that I need. I need nothing else. Are you sure? Are you sure? So we, we see that these guys, they were just, they were there. They had to keep a certain status among their friends, among, among their community, in the community. That led them to self-centeredness, self-satisfaction. They had all the beauty they would look however they wanted to look. They had all the fashion and all the expensive clothes. They had all the, fa the good houses and good life and good living. All the good horses they needed to buy. Everything they needed, they had it. But Jesus is saying that you have nothing without Jesus. You know, no, no Jesus, no life, guys. Without Jesus, there is no life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We may have everything else, but I'm telling you, that's so temporal. Without Jesus, we headed for, to fail. We headed in a wrong direction. The second thing we see Jesus warning them about is self-sufficiency. They were self-sufficient. They were self-sufficient. You know, to be self-sufficient is needing no outside help. Emotionally, intellectually, being independent. You need nobody. You need nothing. You need no one. Emotionally, intellectually, you are independent. That's the world we live in today. Quest for independence. Who are you? What can you tell me? I know what I want. I am intelligent. I am intelligent. Today, we've, we've really, not only have we closed up the door for other people's voice and advice, I miss a time and a season in an African context where one child was a child for everyone. I miss that context in an African setup or in a moral society. Where you walk in the street as a girl, you are not properly dressed. Any other adult uh, woman would come to you and say, my daughter, this is not the right way to, to dress up. 
and you tell, then you, you, you behaved normal. Our sisters behaved normal. They would even go back home to come, to go and dress up nicely. Today, what do we tell them? You are not my mother. What can you tell me? We're coming from a time where a son, one boy, was a boy for the whole community. If they behaved bad, any adult male would sit them down and say, My son, this is not the right way to behave. This is not how to, this is not how to dress. This is not how you speak if they were cursing. And that person would say, like, Oh, I'm so sorry. There, there was that morality within the community. The moral aspect, the moral standards were so high. Today, anyone can curse, anyone can speak whatever they want. And if another person approached them, they would tell them, Who are you? What can you tell me? Self-sufficiency. These guys, they, had, they were very prosperous. With prosperity came pride. They did not need Jesus anymore. They did not have time, not only had time for him, they did not need him. According to them, a church was a social club where they went to show up for their fashion and beauty. A church was a social club where they went up to show how they have treated their faces with salve, how they have gotten rid of the wrinkles and whatever is on their faces. The church became a place where they went to compete with one another. A church was a place where they only go jump high, high, and eat and show and chat with people. But they never had time to jump with Jesus, to chat with Jesus, to eat with Jesus, to walk with Jesus, and to live with Jesus. He says, I am outside, guys, standing at the door and knocking. How would you feel to, knock, to lock Jesus out of your life? And you are called a child of God. Jesus says, I would rather you are not a Christian. He says, I would rather you are not hot or you are not cold. Then I will know what to do with you. So I'm just trying to put it in my words now. I would rather you are not a Christian. Then I will send people to reach out to you. So they bring you in. All right? I would rather you are not pretending to be so prayerful. You are, you are cold. Like no fire. He says, I would rather you are cold. So that I'll send people to revive you. So that your prayer life may rise up. But here is the thing. You are lukewarm. You want to find a balance. Just like in life. Also, you're playing, trading dangerously, spiritually, where you want to find balance. Um, I'll pray just a little bit. And I'll club just a little bit. And I'll do a little bit of everything. You know what I mean? You are in church. You want to listen to God a little bit. And you are on your phone a little bit. You sing, hey, you are all that matters. And it rings in your phone. You just want to respond to your friends that, oh, you also matters a little bit. Can you feel it? How do you feel, some of you, when somebody is talking to you and they are busy? They're like, uh, uh-huh, what are you saying? Uh, yeah, 
um, listening, they are, they are busy on their phone. How do you feel? It hurts, right? I do stop usually. When I'm talking to my wife, she's busy on the phone, I'll stop. And she's like, where have you stopped? I'm like, no, I'm giving you time for that so that we can talk later. And most of the time, I don't come back to continue it. I'm confessing. She's not guilty. <laughs> oh, no, she's behind. All right, yeah. <laughs> Guys, Jesus is saying that let us be burning for him. Let us be hot for Jesus. Let us welcome him in our lives. You know what it means? If you, it breaks my heart. Jesus is saying that you are the bosses of your life. You are the center of your lives. You are in charge of your lives. And you have kicked Jesus outside. And he stands begging at the door, knocking. He's got life. He's got the keys to death and the keys to life. He can open up either for you. You know that? If he's got the keys to death and the keys to life, he's got the keys of David. If you are not for him, he opens up the keys, uh, the, the gates of death. If you love him, he opens up the door to life, right? And he's there. Instead of you begging to him and repenting and being on your knees, you are trading with Jesus a little bit of everything. You come to Jesus like these guys, they would come to church, they would come to the place of worship, and then they would be outside chatting, catching up. Why are you outside? No, I'm just, I met just my friend, we're just catching up. Catching up? Worship is going on? What would Jesus rather you do if the church is going on? Is it to worship him or is it to hang out with your friend out there? Do you know how much time we spend in church here? Just one hour, 40 minutes. At max, maybe one hour for something minutes. And do you know how much time you have out there? 22 hours, 20 minutes. Think about it. 22 hours, 20 minutes. And here, we come to give Jesus one hour, 40 minutes. Now, in that one hour, 40 minutes, you are on social media. You are outside catching up with friends. Jesus is saying that I would rather you don't come to church. And I send people to encourage you to come to church. Then come to church and you are outside. Then come to church and you are on social media. I'd rather you don't come so that I send my people. Romans says that how can they hear if no one is sent? How can they be sent if no one is there sent? So just saying, I'd rather send my messengers for blessed are the feet that brings the gospel. I'd rather send the feet that brings the gospel where you are than you coming to hide in church. And you have closed Jesus outside of your heart. You know why he said that not so many men who call me father, father. Shall inherit the kingdom of God. Because sometimes we can be so self-sufficient. Even in the house of God. Verse 17. Let us read verse 17. Chapter 3 and verse 17. He says this. You say I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I do not need a thing. Are you sure? 
but you do not realize that you are wretched, you are pitiful, you are poor, you are blind, and you are naked. That's what Jesus is saying. That <laughs> you may, you may, you may, you may have all the wealth. Like that's that's a person saying, "I am rich. I have acquired all this wealth." I am well to do. I do not need a thing. I need no one. I need nothing. I am okay. I don't care. Do you know that Jesus cares? If you as a child of God, you don't care. Who are you? I only know one person who doesn't care. And he's the enemy of the brothers, <laughs> of the believers. He doesn't care. All he wants is to populate his kingdom. Jesus is saying that you do not realize what you are saying. You've got no idea that you are so wretched. He's saying that it's like a terminology brought from a wrecked ship that is beyond repair. It's like you are, <laughs> you are so impoverished. You are so poor. And I beat you. I pity you. I pity you. He says, you are poor. You are blind. Even though they had salve, salve was the oil that, you know, in their time, it was, they did not have opticians like you and I do today. So, Laodicea City had those guys who, who, who knew how to make salve. Salve was a chemical, was the oil that they would put on their eyes. If you had problems with your eyesight, they did not have lenses and glasses like we do. But this city had solved. Their eyes would be restored. They had ointments, like I have said, that they would treat their faces. Somebody would be 80 and they would look as though they were 30. And Jesus says, even though you have, you have solved to treat your own eyes, you are blind. Even though you have fashion and clothes, you, are, you produce clothes and fashion and very good and, and very expensive things. Jesus says that you are so naked. Come to me that I will open up your eyes. Come to me that I will clothe you. I will, I will, I will give you clothes that you may walk in white clothes. In the clothes that never fades. These guys were so self-sufficient. They had everything they needed. That's what they thought. And they said, we do not need anything. Actually, to the point that history has it that many years later, before, this, before the message of Jesus, this city experienced a very terrible earthquake. And everything that had, was built, you know, it was near mountains. And so they experienced earthquake and everything was destroyed. To the extent that the emperor came and wanted to help them rebuild the city. But they were wealth and affluent to the extent they said that we don't need your help, emperor. They refused. Every city around them, whenever they had any major financial problems or setback, the emperor or other cities would come to help them. They would call and call for help. When Zambia's economy... Uh, problems, they'd go to China, U.S., and other places for help. So these, these guys, they said, we don't need nobody's help. We've got everything. We are self-sufficient. Whatever is broken, we'll build it overnight. That's how wealthy they were. But they thought, money can buy you life. 
Is that, that's what we think, right? Most of the time, we don't think about what matters until when we need it the most. When we are well, moving just fine, we feel like this body is so powerful. But when it's weak and broken and wretched and lying in bed, then we realize how important it is. When we're breathing and taking the breath of God to all these crazy places, we feel as if it doesn't matter. Until when we are in, bre- in bed and gasping for breath, that's when we're like, this breath is so important. I wish I can breathe no more. When things are going on well, when the blessing of the Lord has come to our lives, most of the time we feel like God is not important. We don't even need Jesus. That's a deception of the enemy, and that's the deception they had. Jesus is saying that, put me first. If you put Jesus at the center of your life, everything will go well. He's standing and knocking. Guys, I want you to be well. I want you to be happy and everlasting happiness. Not this one that is so wretched, that is so temporal. They were so self-sufficient. And here is the last thing. They had self-deceit. Deception is one of the things of the weapon that the enemy or certainly uses to take people away from God's people. Most of the time we deceive ourselves thinking we are well, we are okay, we need nothing, we need no one. We just don't know how much of Christ we need. The world today feels like it is okay. It is self-sufficient. It has got everything that it needs. But the world doesn't know that without Christ, this world is headed for a crash. You and I are agents that are supposed to take Christ to the ends of the world. But how can we take Christ to the ends of the world if we do not have him? What can anyone give what you do not have? No one can give what they do not have. In Romans chapter 12, the the Bible is saying something. I think Paul is saying to, to the Roman churches, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Can you hear that? Let us read that together, all of us. One, two, three. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Many times we think so highly of ourselves than we ought to. We feel like we we are we, we are so smarter. We are smarter than Jesus. We smart more smart than life, more smart than anything else. We feel like we are more intelligent. We feel like we have everything we need. Guys, we that's that's a sober encouragement. Let us not think more than we ought to about ourselves. But he says, let us think about ourselves with a sober judgment. And the sober judgment is that we are mortals. We are humans. We need the Savior. 
we are so broken as humans and our lives are so temporal on this side of eternity such that everything we do here is for a short period of time. And in that period of time, God, let God be the center of your life. Put God first in your life. Put God first in your life. Have God's view about yourself. Have the reverence and the fear of God. Save the Lord your God with fear and trembling. I like, I like the way the French put it. La crainte de Dieu. It's like the trembling about God. The fear of God. The reverence about God. Sometimes we feel like me and God, we have an understanding. Can you have an understanding with God? Are you sure? God is calling you and I to repentance. God is calling you and I to reverence for God. How do we view God? How do we take God's work? How do we serve God? Sometimes being self-sufficient separates you from people that can own you, that you are not headed in the right way. And also, it closes off the Holy Spirit from encouraging you. You know, this thing we call freedom, I'm telling you, it's not even freedom. Sometimes, we feel like we have so much freedom to do anything and whatever we want to do. No child of God has that kind of freedom. To do whatever you want to do. The Bible says I can do all things. By what criteria? Say it loud. I can do anything and all things. By what criteria? Who gives you what? Yes. What does that mean? If Christ gives you strength, he chooses. He directs. You are not... You do not have freedom to do anything. No one can tell me anything. I care not. You, are you sure? Do you see those people, how they run to look for someone to tell them or encourage them? Some Others, they say, like, I'm killing myself because no one cares for me. But you say that you don't care about anyone. Now, you want to take your life because no one cares for you? Because it has headed in the fourth spiral, Right? We can, we can do it better from the start. God matters and what he says matters a lot. Who has a final say about your life? Others, they would say, I do. My mother does. No, God does. He's the creator of God's creation. He's the word. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was. Nothing exists that was not created by him. He created you. He created me. He, what he says matters a lot. I just want us to think where we are seated. Let's just close our eyes. What is it and how are we living our lives? God is calling us to repentance. He does not delight in evil. Are you satisfied with status quo? Are you saying that 
Maybe Jesus is saying, I'm standing at the door and knocking. If anyone hears my voice, just Jesus standing outside should make you so trembling and so sad. If Jesus is not at the center of your life. Because he's the only friend who sticks closer than a brother. Because he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to my father except by me, Jesus says. And if he's outside your life, your heart, where are you headed? The kingdom of God is brought by the fear and the reverence of Jesus. I want us just to think about the ways in which God is speaking to us today. Is Jesus at the center of your life? Is Jesus the most important decision in your life?